The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome. I'm Dr. Meryl, and I'm happy that you have joined us today. I think this show holds many surprises for you, and I hope lots of good tips that you're going to find very, very valuable. Our first guest is going to discuss a condition, a condition related to depression uh, that many professionals and others do not recognize, and that is a failure to, to thrive. So actually, we're not going to be discussing the whole syndrome of failure to thrive, but we are going to be talking about one of the symptoms that often goes unrecognized until a much later stage, and that is malnutrition. Our second guest will be talking to us about depression, and we're going to ask him, is depression really a normal part of aging? We're going to learn about diseases that actually mask as depression, how depression impacts people with disease such as diabetes, and how depression actually might increase the incidence of falls. And we're going to get some tips from both our guests on how to handle resistance. You know, based on your emails, children and family members, being, as you would like to call it, and I call it stubborn and resistant, is the bane of our existence. So today, perhaps we're going to be able to help. So we're going to start out talking to Mr. Robert Blancato. And Mr. Blancato is the executive director of the National Association of Nutrition and Aging Services and Programs and the national coordinator of the Elder Justice Coalition. He has served as the executive director of the 1995 White House Conference on Aging, in which I was very, very proud and honored to be a delegate to that conference. And it was, without a doubt, an extremely valuable, just wonderful conference. So, Bob, I am so happy to welcome you to Caught Between Generations. Well, thank you very much, Marlon. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for taking the time to focus on this topic. Well, it's an important topic, and I and I will admit that that when I first saw it, I and I worked with seniors for a long time. I thought to myself, "Hmm, mal- malnutrition." You know, I mean, I I'm not sure that it's why it's a widespread problem, and we need to be that concerned about it. But well, after it, reading it, it, a lot of what you had, go ahead. So, Bob, how widespread of a problem is malnutrition really? Malnutrition, let's start with a couple of numbers. I mean, um, up to one out of every two older adults are at risk for malnutrition. The problem really is affects those who are 65 and over who are hospitalized, and estimates are that up to 60% of those individuals enter the hospital in a malnourished state, and then they, you know, while they're there, the situation can actually get worse. They can end up staying in the hospital four to six days longer because of malnutrition, and malnutrition leads to things like uh, falls and readmissions. And they now have put an estimate of the total cost associated with disease-associated malnutrition at over $51 billion a year. So the reason it probably hasn't had the attention that it has is because our focus has been on hunger and food insecurity among older people, which concerns us a great deal as well. But malnutrition is even deeper, uh, with far deeper health implications, and I think now, they're, uh, as we start focusing on health care reform, start focusing on wellness, start looking at things around prevention, you know, we want to get 
our arms around the issue of malnutrition so we can address it and hopefully reduce its numbers. So, Bob, let's go back to something that you said. So let's define what is malnutrition, because I think most people would think that means, you know, very poor people who are not getting enough to eat. Is, is that really what it is? No, it's, it's far more than that. It's, it's, it essentially is not eating the right kinds of food, not getting the proper amount of nutrients in your diet. So, for example, you know, the, the, the ironic thing is that somebody can be, a, um, uh, can be obese, and be malnourished, meaning that, you know, their consumption has not been, uh, you know, fo- focused on the best, uh, you know, quality of food. So, you know, it can be under, it can be undernutrition, it can be overnutrition, but it's all about the nutrients going into what they eat. And uh, that's the part that we want to focus on. So what are the symptoms of malnutrition? How would I know that someone had malnutrition well, there's some warning signs, such as the, the, the fact that if someone is eating poorly, um, that's an indication, um, you know, if they're uh, you know, loss of appetite or loss of taste. Change in digestion habits uh, can be an indicator. Chewing or swallowing difficulties can be a warning sign. You know, unplanned or unexplained weight loss or gain, uh, poor healing of wounds, easy bruising, dental issues, um, and then those who take medications that affect appetite and digestion can, you know, can be, uh, they can show symptoms of malnutrition as well. So these are some of the things, um, and there's probably others, but those are the ones that get the most focus. So let's talk about some of the causes of malnutrition, and I'm going to ask you if you know of any particular programs and services that have to do with these causes, um, if, you would, if you would mention them to us. So one of the problems really is transportation, mm-hmm. because seniors often can't get to where they need to go um, to buy the kinds of food that they, that they need. Right. Well, I think, first of all, we have some existing programs that are that probably could be more utilized to help older people in that situation, such as the Elder Care Locator, which is part of the Older Americans Act. It's been uh, you know operating for a number of years. It provides information on what community resources are available for people uh, 60 and over uh, who may need community and home services. And the nutrition program, as you know, is the largest program in the Older Americans Act. But uh, sometimes people don't get access to these services because of things like transportation. The elder care locator um, can provide the information on where uh, transportation services are available. You have information referral systems across the country. You have the 211 programs that can uh, you know, link services with people. So these, these, these resources you know, do, do exist. And then as far as... Um, you know, understanding what you should eat and things. There's a new campaign out. I was just at a press conference the other day on this called My Plate for Older Adults. You know, it's a project that Tufts University, the ARP Foundation, and others are engaged in to, you know, in a simple way, having like a simple placemat to show older people, you know, what, what they should eat, uh, what they should concentrate their, um, you know, their eating on and what kinds of foods, you know, the whole grains and the fruits and vegetables. And then you have the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, the old American Dietetic Association, that has a number of informational tools for older people and eating uh, habits. And then we have a toolkit from the Family and Work Institute, you know, an elder care toolkit that, again, helps both um, the older person and their caregiver, which obviously is very important in this conversation, to know what, you know, what tools are available, what resources are available. So... There are a number of things that are out there, and we also have a new coalition in Washington, which I'm proud to be involved with, called Defeat Malnutrition Today. And if you go to www.defeatmalnutrition.today, uh, we have a bunch of resources, a very good infographic on our site that can show, you know, uh, in very simple fashion what malnutrition is, what steps to take, etc. So... Happily, there are a lot of resources, so we have people get people need to use them more. So let's go back. Those are those are really good resources, and we'll try to put those on the website. 
Tell me, let's talk more about, you know, what the causes are of malnutrition. I mean, I mean, obviously, it's, it would seem that one of those causes is financial issues, um, money. Um, so how are people going to pay for their food or how are they, how are they going to get their meals? Um, you know, we have at Syracuse a lot of what we call the working poor, so they don't really qualify for Medicaid, so they may right. not qualify for things like Meals on Wheels. Um, but, you know, money is very tight, especially because of medication. Well, that's a good point. And there again, there are important resources that are available in communities, and I'll give one an example. Um, the National Council on Aging, on whose board I'm proud to serve, has a very important program called Access to Benefits. And what it does is it, it, it provides trained people who can work with older people and their families to establish um, if they're eligible for certain programs and then help them through the process of applying and ultimately getting those services. And, you know, that can include uh, things like the SNAP program, uh, the old food stamp program, and, you know, other economic-type benefits that might alleviate some of the issues around, you know, cost and, and, and poverty. And, again, in the Older Americans Act, um, you have both the congregate nutrition program where you get your meals served to you in a facility, and you have the home-delivered meals program. And in those programs, there are voluntary contributions that are asked. And no one is forced to pay, you know, what they can't afford. But as we've learned over the years, you know, uh, older people are, you know, will pay something. And, and they're happy to because it gives them their guaranteed nutritious meal a day. And so, you know, between making sure people know what programs are available, having access to them, and then, you know, taking advantage of them could be, you know, helpful to certain people um, in this situation. And I also so, had one other Bobby, program, the, the National, I'm, just, I'm sorry, one more thing I forgot, the National Family Caregiver Support Program, also in the Older Americans Act, is an important resource to help uh, family caregivers be properly trained to help those they're caring for. So explain that very quickly to us for a minute, because I'm not familiar with that program. Well, as a matter of fact, well, the, um, the National Family Caregiver Support Program was a direct byproduct of the 1995 White House Conference on Aging. At that conference, we had um, a new focus on not only caregivers as we know them, but the emerging at that time issue of grandparents raising grandchildren. And out of that, the delegates such as yourself um, voted to establish within the Older Americans Act a first-time program to help train family caregivers to be, you know, as good as they can be in this very difficult type of uh, responsibility. So it was signed into law by President Clinton in 2000, and it's been operating ever since. And it has served, you know, tens of thousands of family caregivers and made them better at what they do. So, great great program. We've We've been talking to Bob Plancato. Uh, about malnutrition. When we come back, we're going we're to continue talking about some causes. We're going to go back to the issue of money and financial issues. I have some more questions about that I want to ask Bob. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about medications, uh, and then we're going to talk about how we can raise awareness of this very serious issue. So stay tuned. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. 
Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We've been talking to Robert Plancato about malnutrition, a very, very serious problem in seniors, and I think much more widespread than most of us uh, are really familiar with or understand. Before the break, we were talking about money and financial issues, and Bob, I'd like you to take a minute um, to explain the change in the so-called food stamp program, especially for seniors, because I think that many seniors and their families still think we're using those coupons, which if they had to, they'd have to go to the grocery store and stand there and tear out and clip. So how has that changed? Well, it's changed in, in several ways. First of all, in a, a piece of legislation called the Farm Bill, where the, where the food stamp program is housed, they passed uh, legislation a couple of years back to strengthen the ability and target direct money into giving um, older people more direct uh, assistance in applying for and receiving uh, the SNAP benefits. Because back, you know, as, as recently as three years ago, less than one-third of eligible older people were receiving uh, SNAP uh, benefits. But then they transferred the program, got away from the coupons, went to a large electronic benefit-type format, and have been working to ensure that, you know, the quality of food that's available to people on the food stamp program is improved. And um, I think what, what we're seeing as we move more toward uh, adding important elements into programs like the Older Americans Act and the SNAP program, adding new focuses on things like fresh fruits and vegetables being available to um, low-income seniors to improve their health. So the, the program has improved. It's easier to use. You don't have the, the issues of the coupons and the tearing out anymore. And happily, more older adults are in the SNAP program than ever before, which is a, which is very important to uh, their well-being, particularly you know the ones who are eligible. And how would I enroll in the SNAP program? Well, you have to go, you know you have to go to the you know the United States Department of Agriculture site. But what I, my suggestion would be to go to ncoa.org and look up access to benefits. Um, and they will walk you through the steps. Uh, they'll provide ca- trained counselors to help anybody that's interested. I would go that route. The governmental route sometimes, as you know, could be a little more cumbersome and more complicated. Here you've got a program that's been operating for a number of years. They've served thousands of older adults and gotten them benefits. So that's where I would suggest people go. So as a caregiver, if I'm not going to go, let's say, through the uh, family caregiver training because I'm not right. doing it that frequently, you know, what can I do to pr- help prevent nutrition, malnutrition? Well, first of all, I think the, uh, the key responsibility is to examine the uh, caliber of food that the person you're caring for is consuming. Um, you know, if you're in charge of the, uh, of the shopping and getting the food, you know, uh, go to my plate. Uh, um, you know, I would say go to AARP Foundation uh, and look up my plate. And there's a beautiful visual there of what are considered to be the essential good elements of a balanced meal for older adults. Um, I mean, I remember there was a beautiful placemat. I saw it. Uh, they had a beautiful luncheon the other day, of which I didn't get to eat it, but it looked very nice. But I think caregivers can uh, can see that learn from that, 
And then when they go do the shopping, you know, um, purchase those kinds of foods, you know, the, the whole grains and the fresh fruits and vegetables and the low-fat, uh, you know, salmons and, and meats. Um, and it's things that people would enjoy. It's just they, don't, they, they may not know how good it is for them. So that's a good resource to go to. And, um, and of course, you know, the, the um, Old Americans Act, and again, in, in our communities around the country, you have area agencies on aging that serve um, family caregivers and all the communities. And uh, you can go look on the elder care locator, identify which area agency is closest to where you are, and then be in touch with them, and they can help you as well. Bob, do you have any last thoughts for us about uh, how we can raise awareness of this issue? Well, I first of all, uh, having this program helps in that regard. I think the reason the Defeat Malnutrition about today coalition was formed was for that very purpose. We need to add more screening and assessment and and uh, and treatment um, into our health care programs. We need to show that malnutrition, you know, is a key indicator of, you know, poor health for an older person. We need to be able to have, when a person goes to a hospital uh, and they're admitted, you know, there should be information about their nutritional needs and what they need so that it's done while they're in the hospital. When they get discharged from the hospital, there should be care, care transition programs that address their nutritional needs so they don't get readmitted to the hospital. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of things that we could do by adding elements to programs like Medicare and Medicaid um, that focus just on nutrition screening because at the end of the day, you will save Medicare and Medicaid untold millions of dollars if you use nutrition properly as an intervention to promote wellness among older adults. And so we're going to be working on a variety of legislative initiatives to try to get the more focus on malnutrition. And we appreciate your interest in this and hope that we have a chance to continue this dialogue. I hope so. I, Bob, I know um, you fit us in today. You have a very difficult schedule today. So thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Have a wonderful day. We're all, all the thank best. You so, thank you so much, Bob. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So my um, tip for you for this section is as a caregiver, um, you need to really be right on top of what's happening with the person you're caring for in terms of food. So I'm going to tell you a very quick personal story of my husband who recently was admitted to the hospital. Um, and he was on very heavy IV antibiotics. And I wanted to tell you that the food was atrocious. Um, but I mean atrocious to the point of where because he's diabetic, I was bringing him breakfast in the morning and then leaving to go to my office and then bringing him lunch and then returning to my office and then bringing him back dinner um, because I really felt very strongly that he would not have eaten that food. And so his whole di- uh, diabetic situation would have become much, much worse if I was not bringing food in. The other thing that happened is even knowing that he was diabetic, um, I suddenly looked at something they gave him and it was fruit. And I said to him, don't eat that. It looks like canned fruit to me. And I want to taste it first. And when I tasted it, it was in this sugary syrup which obviously he should not have had. So we really have to be advocates for the people that we're caring for. Um, I think even in settings where we assume that everything is being taken care of and it's operating as it should. I mean, that certainly taught me a lesson that you can't, unfortunately, always depend on healthcare facilities um, or health professionals even, of which I am part of, um, to do what needs to be done. Um, And so you always have to be an advocate for the person that you're taking care of. So with that said, um, and now that I've made you all depressed, that'll lead us um, really well into the next segment where we'll be talking about depression. So when you come back, we'll be talking to Dr. Gary Malk, who's a geriatric psychiatrist, and we will be talking not only about depression, but something that interests me very, very much, and that is diseases um, that get confused and masked. Sometimes they're depression, sometimes they're not. We see this very 
very, very often in seniors, things like urinary tract infections can mask as something else and someone looks like they have dementia and they're confused when really what it is is urinary tract infection. So we're going to have that discussion about depression and we're going to talk about how depression may lead to things like falls, an increased number of falls. Um, And we're going to talk about things like seasonal affective disorder and how we can you know, use lamps and lights for those types of situations. So stay tuned. You're listening to Court Between Generations. This is Dr. Merrill. And when you come back, we'll be getting some really, really good information and tips on how to deal with depression and how to deal with resistance. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to Caught Between Generations. And very soon, we'll be having our guest, who is Dr. Gary Malk. He's a practicing geriatric psychiatrist and the author of Beat Depression, To Stay Healthier and Live Longer. He was the 2011 recipient of the Clinician of the Year Award from the American Association for Geriatric Psychiatry and is the Chief of Geriatric Psychiatry at the New Hampshire Hospital. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. Uh, Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, thank you so much. So we have a lot to talk about, so I want to get right into it. So, you know, there's a common belief that depression, oh, it's just a common part of aging. That's what happens. They get older, they get depressed, you know, nothing to worry about. That's true. Uh, It's absolutely false, uh, categorically. And it's a bias among younger people who look at old age uh, as a you know a dismal, uh, a dismal unhappy time of life. In fact, as people get older, assuming they stay reasonably healthy, they tend to have higher levels of happiness compared to younger people. They're less often sad than younger people are, and they tend to rate their life satisfaction as pretty high. Uh, even when they, they're dealing with uh, certain chronic diseases or, or may have one, you know, one or more physical limitations. So um, 
good mental health is normally what people should expect as they get older, and they definitely should expect not to be depressed. So for people that are depressed, I mean, the other myth, I guess, is that treatment is useless. You know, they're getting older, it's not going to work. You know, why would we even bother to do this? Yeah, that's a big problem. And it, it unfortunately, it's a, it's a belief that is harbored by ben, many older adults, uh, members of their family, and sometimes even their health care providers, people that are responsible for doing what they can to ensure their, their well-being. To some extent, it comes from a confusion that people sort of view all mental illness in old age as a form of senility, and it's widely believed that um, senility, which is an old term that often people think of in terms of Alzheimer's disease or related disorders, aren't really treatable. Reality is that depression is very different. It's a, it's a focal psychiatric illness involving regulation of, of emotions and mood, and it's actually very treatable and potentially um, curable in that it can be completely controlled and people can, can get back to living normal lives again. So I don't want us to become necessarily clinicians, and we're not running to the Diagnostic Standards Manual, but how would I know that someone is depressed? I mean, what would be the symptoms that would concern me? Well, it's, it's actually good. You shouldn't run to the diagnostic manual because one of the problems is that the, 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 the descriptions that are used in, in the standard manuals, often based on the way illnesses appear in younger people, may not fit too well with older adults. So you, you, it really requires a fair amount of expertise and experience to recognize various kinds of illnesses, including psychiatric illnesses among older adults, particularly those that are, that are very old in their 80s and 90s. A good rule of thumb for people to use, though, is if someone has an unhappy mood which seems to stick with them, they just can't shake it off. It's there day in and day out, most days, uh, kind of relentless, um, Friends and family can't, can't cheer them up or, or distract them from it temporarily. And it's out of proportion to anything going on that should cause them to feel sad or unhappy. Uh, that may be an indication of depression. Now, particularly if it's associated with negative feelings about life or about the person themselves, if they feel useless or worthless or that they become a burden on their family, or if they're just unable to experience any pleasure in living anymore. There's just nothing that, that gives them any, any happiness or nothing that they can enjoy. Or if there are changes in appetite or sleep pattern or energy level. Those are all, uh, these are, those are all tip-offs that depression may be the problem. And at least that something more serious is going on that should, should lead to some kind of medical attention. So I think the other myth is that um, depression is treated only with a pill. You know, you're just going to go to the psychiatrist, he's going to give you a pill, and then you're going to come back in six weeks or four weeks or whatever it is um, just to get your prescription refilled. Is, is that accurate? No, absolutely not. But it, it cuts both ways. So among, among adults of all ages, but particularly older adults, some harbor an assumption that you go to see a specialist, you get another pill. They just pile more and more pills on. And so there's a, a kind of aversion to going for an evaluation out of concern that you're just going to get another pill. Some people, um, and, and but pills aren't the answer all the time. So we know that for the most severe forms of depression, people probably are not going to get better without medicine for depression. But um, for milder form, moderate and milder forms of depression, Psychotherapy, or what people refer to as counseling or the talking treatment, actually is very effective and can work as well, if not better, than medications for depression work. And in, in very severe depression, what works best is a combination of psychotherapy and medication. We've also learned that in, in milder depression, uh, a number of um, lifestyle or nutritional approaches can help. So. Things like exercise can actually relieve a lot of, of mild depression. Practices like yoga or tai chi or mindfulness meditation can help. And certain kinds of nutritional supplements, particularly um, high doses of omega-3 fatty acids, the things found in fish oil, 
can really uh, uh, help many cases of depression. And even in the severe cases, adding these kinds of things can make medicines or psychotherapy work better. So there's a whole range of treatments that may make a difference. It's not just pills. Great. So I just want to add one little thought in there because you know, we're talking about exercise. And I just want to make sure that our listeners are aware when you say yoga or maybe even Tai Chi, that everyone always thinks you need to be standing and moving for that. But if you look at your local Ys, uh, YMCAs, for instance, they often have programs where, you know, it's chair yoga. So you can be sitting or they'll adapt. There are people that will adapt the yoga or Tai Chi or similar types of exercises uh, for people who are older who have mobility problems. So it's worth taking a look at. I just wanted to pass that on while you were talking about exercise. No, it's a, it's a very good it's a very good point. You know, older adults um, come in a wide range of physical abilities, from those that you know couldn't do vigorous yoga to those those who could. Even even mindfulness meditation, people assume you have to sit on the floor in a cross-legged position, but you can meditate sitting in a chair just as easily. So, so there were. So, so you know, there, these kinds of things can be adapted for people of all kinds of physical abilities. Or, or with all kinds of physical limitations. So there are some conditions that masquerade as depression. I, I don't want to discuss all of them. The, the list is actually lengthy, but I want to discuss some of them. So the one that I see most often uh, in my Sarah Care Centers is uh, bereavement um, that often gets confused with depression. So can you talk to us a little bit about the difference between those? Yeah, it's an important distinction, and uh, uh, one that many healthcare providers don't make correctly. So bereavement is a normal life experience, and part of the, the healthy way that people adjust to loss of, of loved ones and others that are very close to them. So in bereavement, people have many symptoms of depression, but the symptoms aren't persistent and, and, and all-consuming the way I described before. People who are going through bereavement will feel profound sadness for periods of, of, of the day, but the feelings often will come and go, and they can, be, they can be distracted from their grief. They can be briefly cheered up at times. They don't lose the ability to enjoy small pleasures of life. They may not lose their appetite. I mean, they may, they may lose their appetite to some degree, but eventually it comes back and they, they start to eat well. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a condition that tends to come and go. And while they may have some regrets about the relationship with the person they lost, and they may wish that things could have been different or that they did things differently, their, their thoughts about that relationship don't become irrational. In depression, the, uh, and, and people can get a, what's called a bereavement depression. So in the midst of bereavement, uh, it can trigger something that more serious that becomes a depression. The depressed feelings don't come and go. They're, they're relentless. Um, friends and, 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 and family can't distract them from their grief. They, they don't cheer up at all. They just can't experience any pleasure in living. And their thinking may become very pessimistic and negative in an irrational kind of way. They may irrationally blame themselves for the death of, of their loved one in a way that has nothing to do with, with, the, with the loved one at all and that other people think is just really irrational. So that those are uh, that may the distinction is often subtle and it, it sometimes requires a fair amount of judgment uh, to to know. But the important take home message is that is that any you know older adults who are sad and cry about things that that are that are that are sad uh, and unhappy in life aren't necessarily depressed and they shouldn't be put on medicine for that necessarily. So do you see the same type of behavior, and we don't have a lot of time before the break, but the same type of behavior in what we would call an adjustment disorder. So, for instance, when someone sells their home and, and they move into, let's say, an assisted living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in adjustment, adjustment disorders come in all flavors. They come with depression. They come with anxiety. They come with uh, an impact on people's behavior. And it's basically a an abnormal emotional or behavioral reaction to some stressful event in life and usually lasting 
for some period of time. So it's, it's not something that happens, you know, over the course of a few hours or a few days, but usually lingers longer than that. And it's usually severe enough to interfere with somebody's uh, well-being and, and maybe even their day-to-day functioning, but not totally disabling either. When we return, we'll discuss the relationship between depression and things like diabetes and increased falls. And we'll also um, ask our geriatric psychiatrist to share tips with us on how to respond to resistance. Stay tuned. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I'm here with Dr. Gary Mock, and who is the author of Beat Depression, To Stay Healthier and Live Longer, a guide for older adults and their families. And we've been talking about depression. Um, there is a relationship between depression and many diseases, but let's just discuss one or two of them. Um, so the one that, of course, I'm very interested in is because my husband has diabetes, is the relationship between depression and diabetes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? So it's an important relationship, and it's a two-way street. Uh, Having diabetes makes people more prone to develop depression, and having depression makes people more prone to develop diabetes, or if they have diabetes, it makes the diabetes um, harder to control and uh, prone to getting worse over time. Uh, so that connection has to be managed. If, if you have diabetes and you're depressed, it's very hard for the diabetes to be brought under proper control unless the depression is also treated and treated effectively. Is that because people are not following their, their diet and they're not watching their insulin? To some extent. So it, it really has to do with two things. Um, depression... And, and you can you can sort of break those down into behavior and physiology. So what do I mean by that? So behavior is what you were just alluding to. So when people are depressed, they become pessimistic, kind of hopeless. Nothing seems to needs to nothing seems to be worthwhile. They don't see the point in taking good care of themselves. 
So they become sluggish, their energy levels drop, they don't follow their diet, they don't check their blood sugar, they may skip pills or insulin when they need it. It may be just easier to eat a jelly donut than to eat things that are on their diabetic diet. And so their sugars become harder, we become more out of control. And also they don't exercise, which can be helpful in diabetes and, 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 and on and on. But it turns out, uh, and a lot of research supports this, that although those kind of behavioral issues contribute uh, to the picture in diabetes and other illnesses, there's more to it than that. There are direct physiologic effects. And by that I mean what's going on in, in the brain has a big direct impact on what's happening in the body because the brain is really the master organ that controls most of the rest of the body. And it, it regulates all of the body's function, including uh, blood sugar control. So in depression, a lot of things are going on uh, hormonally and neurologically that make diabetes more out of control and harder to treat. Interesting. Let's talk about falling because um, when I read your book, that was one of the things I found very interesting about a possible link between depression and increased falls, which of course is a major, major concern among um, almost all seniors. Falling is a big public health problem and, and a cause of head injury, which can lead to disability. And it's surprising how many people over the age of 65 experience a fall every year. Fortunately, most of them are not hurt seriously, but they can be kind of shaken and traumatized by the experience. It's funny, people often wonder, like, what does depression have to do with falling? Depression's an emotional problem, and falling seems like a purely physical problem. Um, but we all take for granted what goes into us being able to stay on our feet without falling. And when people are depressed, there actually are physical changes in their gait. They don't walk as, as quickly or as fluently with as much coordination as they ordinarily would. And moreover, when people are depressed, their attention is diverted. So depression affects um, the executive command and control functions of the brain. And those are critical for avoiding falls because those help you scan the, pay attention to what you're doing, scan the environment in front of you, recognize when there are obstacles in the way, a, a grandchild's toy on the floor, a curb in a parking lot, um, uneven pavement, and they help you avoid uh, falling. And we all do that thousands of times a day without even re- realizing we're doing it. But when you're depressed, that function goes offline and you're much more vulnerable to falling. Let's talk a little bit for a few minutes about resistance because um, it always is a problem. So I'm taking care of someone. I feel as though they may be depressed um, and I need, I want them to go to someone to be assessed. Um, and they won't. They just absolutely refuse and they dig in their heels and they just will not go. Uh, or they will not take their medication. I mean, do you have any suggestions for for how you would handle that or respond to that? It's complicated, but there are a few general rules of thumb that people should try to keep in mind. The first thing is there's a natural tendency, particularly with an older adult you, you love and care about and worry about, who may be depressed when there's really nothing very sad or traumatic going on in their lives, to want to talk them out of it and reason with them and try to, try to reason them out of the depression. And that's probably the worst thing to do for most in most of the times because it, it just um, it, it causes the older adult, really anybody for that matter, to feel, to feel negative because they feel that people around them who should care about them aren't, aren't in touch with or respecting their feelings. You have to treat the feelings as valid even if you don't see the, that there's any reason for them to feel that way. I think the second thing is to understand an older adult's point of view. So people that are older now grew up in a time when it was shameful to admit emotional problems and certainly to admit them publicly. It was uh, emotional problems were viewed as somehow a personal failure um, that one shouldn't admit because it meant that you weren't trying hard enough as a person or you weren't a good person. So what can be really more helpful is to, is to help the older person understand that the depression isn't them, it's their brain. And that's often what I tell patients. It's not you, it's your brain has let you down. And it's let you down in this stage in life, not because you're too weak to deal with getting older, but because you're getting older, your brain is changing like the rest of your body, and it's not, it's not supporting you as well as it used to, at least emotionally. 
So, and I, I take out a model of the brain and show them the parts of the brain that are affected with depression, and helping people understand it's a medical illness, not a personal emotional problem, can make a difference because then it's no longer their fault. So that 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 can be helpful. How do I find a geriatric psychiatrist? Oh, that's a tough challenge. There, there right now are not too many. There are only about fifteen hundred. Uh, trained and certified geriatric psychiatrists in the United States. So there's a real shortage. Uh, there is a national professional association, the American Association for Geriatric Psychiatry, and people can go online uh, to that organization. If you just do a Google search for American Association for Geriatric Psychiatry, it'll come up as the number one hit. And you can search for members in your area, either by state and city, or you can enter a zip code, and you'll get people that at least are members of that association uh, and identify them. Dr. Moak, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been very valuable information. Um, do you want to give us contact information for you, a website? Your book is Beat Depression to Stay Healthier and Live Longer. Is there uh, any my, other? Yes, my, my website is www.moakgeriatricpsychiatry.com, but if, you just, if people just Google my name, Gary Moak, M-O-A-K, um, and maybe the name of the book, Beat Depression to Stay Healthier and Live Longer, uh, it'll come up in the number one or two or three uh, search hits on a Google search. It'll get there. That's great. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. My takeaway today deals with masks. As children, we find it's fun to play dress up, wear costumes, and pretend that we're monsters or princesses. As adults, pretending we are something we are not saps our energy and leaves us feeling exhausted. I pretend that I have enough to eat. I pretend that I'm happy or that I'm coping with losses in my life just fine. This is Dr. Merrill, and I always ask you to do just one thing this week to care for yourself. This week, I'm asking you to take off the mask, all right, and just recognize something that you need. To call one of the resources that we discussed, do something now for yourself, because you are very, very important. Let me know what you've done. Write to me at Dr. Merrill at callbetweengenerations.com. I will be so proud of you. I really want you to do just that one thing for yourself this week. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management 